The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you so much for revealing yourself to us, uh, for your promises, for truth, and uh, for your Holy Spirit. God, I I pray that you'll just speak to each and every one of our hearts uh, just during this time. I pray that you'll empower Randall as he speaks and brings your word, give him clarity, and help him to communicate clearly what you have to say to us. I see things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Ethan. Good morning. All right, well, we're going to be starting a new series today. And so this is your first time here. Welcome to Grace City. My name is Randall. And uh, we're going through this new series called Promises. Uh, We're studying through John 16. And today we're going to find a promise that Jesus gives us. And we're going to study that and go through that and really what that means for our lives. And so our text is John 6, uh, 5 through 15. And in this text... Uh, Jesus makes this astounding claim. He tells us that it is better for him to leave because he's going to send a helper into the world. And this helper is the Holy Spirit. And based off of today's text, John 16, 7, um, an author named J.D. Greer writes this in his book, Jesus Continued. He says, Jesus claimed that having the Holy Spirit in them would be better than having Jesus beside them. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit into our lives and saying this, as lonely as you get, as as many difficult times as you face, we have this promise to hold on to. We're not alone. We're not alone. And to believe this promise that Jesus gives us, it necessitates a belief in the spiritual world. That there's more than what meets the eye. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Do not attempt to water Christianity down. There must be no pretense that you can have it with the spiritual or supernatural left out. So far as I can see, Christianity is precisely the one religion from which the miraculous cannot be separated. You must frankly argue for supernaturalism from the very outset. Here's what we believe. We believe that Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, walked the earth, was the Son of God, and that he didn't only die, but he died for our sins and rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. From the outset of Christianity, you have to believe that there's more than what we can see, the supernatural. 
And in John 16, Jesus describes a world which we must admit we know very little about because of our modern secular culture. See, the world Jesus describes is far beyond what we can just experience with our senses. A world in which God is working in ways far higher and greater than what we can think or imagine. And isn't that, as you read the scriptures, how God works? I mean, look at Isaiah 55, verse 8. God says this. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, what you think and what I think, it is nothing in comparison to what God thinks. Our ways are not God's ways. And so we need God to show us. And how does he do that? Through the Holy Spirit. You see, I remember wrestling with this idea of believing that there's supernatural world. And as I struggled with this idea, I remember this question coming into my mind one day, and it was this. Randall, do you believe you understand the world better than God does? Do you believe that you understand the world better than God does? Because what we see is that God created the world and that he explains the world to us. And so you read verses like Ephesians 6 where it says that there's the spiritual realm and you're like, okay, is it true that there's a spiritual realm? Well, God says it is. It's true. And see, what Isaiah 55 verse 8 says is that I can't trust my thoughts or my ways. I can't trust them. And so being a Christian is not depending on our own thoughts, our own ways, but depending on God's thoughts and his ways, even when I don't, under full, when I don't fully understand them. I don't fully understand what that looks like. See, John 16 tells us that God is not distant, but he's near. So even in the book of Psalms, you'll read that God is near to the brokenhearted. So today you might have walked in lonely, feeling like your, your life, you're, you're all alone. But what we find is that God is very present and real, even in our most difficult times. And so the question is, why is it so hard for many of us to believe what Jesus says? To believe that there is something beyond the natural world. Well, in 2007, Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor wrote an 896-page book called A Secular Age. I've not read this book, but I've read a commentary on this book, <laughs> which is about 100 pages. Very helpful. But this book is very important because it, it describes our world today. And this book has been a hot topic for many theologians, philosophers, columnists. Taylor's book tells us that there's been a shift that's taken place in the world that we live in today. Over the past several centuries, this shift has happened, and today we live in a secular culture. And we no longer believe that there's the possibility for the supernatural, but it has not always been like that. Uh, he says that our world has become disenchanted. But as much as, you know, we, we've tried to dismiss the supernatural, what he says is that 
we still can't shake this sneaking suspicion that there has to be something more than what we can see. Taylor says it like this. He says, don't you feel it? Don't you have those moments of either foreboding or on the cusp elation where you can't shake the sense that there must be something more? What Jesus promises us is that there is something more. There's a reality in which many of us are not tapping into. And that as much as we try to dismiss it, we're not alone. Our text today is John 16, 5 through 15. And in John 16, Jesus tells us that there is a supernatural world. The world that we inhabit is enchanted. Whether we believe it or not, God is at work all around us. And his disciples, they needed this. They needed to embrace this reality if they were going to survive what was right around the corner. Just to give some background here, Jesus just tells his disciples that uh, he was leaving and that they would, once he leaves, be hated just as Jesus had been hated. And because they heard these things, they were distraught. You can see it in verse six. Look at what it says. It says, but because I, Jesus, have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They were sinking into a depression because everything was changing. See, the disciples were about to face extreme persecution, and so through it all, they needed to know that they weren't alone, that God was with them, And so Jesus promises his disciples that he was not abandoning them, but he was sending them with the power of the Spirit, which he says is better than Jesus beside them, what they had currently. And so what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in this text? He tells us three things. And here's what they are. He says that the Spirit will be present, the Spirit will be active, and the Spirit will be speaking. Present, active, speaking. So the first point is present. You'll see it in verses seven through eight. And so let's look there. It says in verse seven, he says, but if I go, I will send him to you, the the spirit. Verse eight, and when he comes. So Jesus is telling his disciples that he's leaving, but he's going to send one in his place that is going to be their helper. What this means is that God is not a distant God, but he's a God who comes near. He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. See, it's verses like this that really point this out. It's Acts 17, 28, where the apostle Paul is preaching to non-believers, but here's what he says. In him, we live and move and have our being. So even today, whether you believe in God or not, what the apostle Paul is saying is that you, every breath that you have, the life that you have, everything that, that keeps you going is because of God. We live, we move, we breathe because of him. See, the idea of God being present, being with us, 
if you compare it to all the other religions in the world, is unique in its very nature. In 2005, Albert Moeller uh, wrote an article called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Hold on. Stay with me. The New American Religion, where he breaks down the research of Christian Smith from the University of North, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and his study on teenagers and their beliefs about God. And so those teenagers in 2005 are now 20-somethings today. And here's what Moeller says. He says, when Christian Smith took a close look at the religious beliefs held by American teenagers, they found that the faith held and described by most adolescents came down to something the researchers identified as moralistic therapeutic deism. What does it mean? Smith explains, this faith is about belief in a particular kind of God, one who is not personally involved in one's affairs, especially affairs which one would prefer not to have God involved. Most of the time, the God of this faith keeps a safe distance. In short, God is something like a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He's always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. Let me tell you, this view of God is very predominant in America when we say, I believe in God. But I need to tell you the truth. This is not Christianity. That's not Christianity. See, what Jesus tells us is that the God of the Bible is very present in our everyday lives and that he's not just some divine butler or cosmic therapist, but instead he is an all-powerful, holy God who comes in closer than we feel comfortable with. And what that does is takes us to the second point. Okay, and so this, here's what it is. The Spirit is, next, convicting. You're like, oh man, this is it. Okay, what's this mean? Well, let's look at verses eight through 11. He says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. On this verse, commentator Kent Hughes says, apart from the Holy Spirit, human beings do not understand spiritual realities. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring to the world's conscious three things. A correct perception of sin, a correct perception of righteousness, and a correct perception of judgment. Now, some of you, you, you know, you, you walk around college campuses and you've seen the people with signs. You're going to hell, making judgments upon people. If you go up and talk to some of them, they say, well, I don't sin. Okay, so, so there is a huge problem with the way that the world, man, goes about trying to tell people about sin about judgment. And what we find out, it's not their job to do that. It's actually the Holy Spirit's. The Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us and shows us the truth. See, this word for convict, the original language, it's eleko, 
It means to expose or cross-examine. Now, here's the thing. I've got three kids, and what I found out is that I do a lot of cross-examining, <laughs> researching, you know. Um, my youngest, she's three, about to be four, and one of the things that she does in the middle of the night is she says she goes sneaking. So she goes out sneaking out of her room, and what she does is she goes into the food pantry and starts looking around, and if we had that night cooked, made cookies, we bake cookies, we bake brownies, we bake any of those things, she makes sure to do some investigation of her own and to sneak into there, and, and what we find the next morning are crumbs everywhere, and that she had found what we were trying to hide. And so what happens next is I go up to her and I, I ask her some questions. I say, hey, did you, um, were, were you up last night sneaking? <laughs> no? Okay, well, <laughs> well, let me smell your breath. Open up your mouth, let me see, you know. And so I'm doing some inspecting of what's happening. And um, what I find most of the time is that she is uh, more often guilty. <laughs> She's guilty. She did it. And you say, well, well, why do you do that? Isn't that infringing upon your daughter's personal space? No. <laughs> what I am doing is I am, I, I want my daughter to be an honest person. That's what I want. And so I, I come in very close, uncomfortably close to cross-examine so that I can say, okay, this isn't right because I love her, right? Anyone that you love, you're going to press in to the point where it's going to feel a little uncomfortable. And what we find is that is what God does in our lives. See, how does the Spirit cross-examine us? Well, it's a process. And really, it starts with what Jesus says first. He says, sin. And what the Spirit does is he convinces us that we're not as good as we thought we were. We're not as good as we thought we were. See, the Spirit convinces us of how deadly sin is in our lives. See, what happens most of the time is we go through life and we don't believe that sin is that deadly until we start seeing the effects of it. We see the broken relationships. We see time and time again where we keep falling into the same trap. And we say, this isn't good. Sin is not our friend. And so as God is a loving father, he comes in and says, hey, I'm sending the spirit to cross-examine some of the things in your life right now because it's not good for you. It's not helpful. And ultimately, Jesus says that when, when we define sin, the, the sin is this. Look at verse 9. It's, it's not believing in him. It's not believing in him. Why is that? Because this broad generali generalization of sin, the only answer to it for every one of us is simply believing in Jesus. That's the answer. 
no matter where we've come from, no matter what our background is, like today, it is coming to him and saying, Jesus, I need you. Blaise Pascal said this, man is great in so far as he realizes he is wretched. What does that mean? You're able to say, you know what, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm able to admit I have areas in my life where or I, I can't get it together, right? Like that, that's the start to the gospel becoming true in our hearts. And the reason is, as God presses in and, and shows us these things, it's, it's because he loves us. Right, the thing about my kids is I don't want to send them out into the world without telling them something that I know is true about them and to believe a lie about themselves. And so it starts with what we would say, well, that's, that's really bad news. Not as good as I thought I was. But have you ever said I need something more or I really want to get deeper into this and learn more about this? until you realize that you didn't know anything about it or you have an actual need? See, the, 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 the Holy Spirit exposes these things in our life, cross-examines so that he can show us we have a need. And then what he does is he supplies the solution. He says, here's the answer. We have a deep need for a savior. And so then he goes back to righteousness. He says righteousness, right? So what does that mean? So first it starts with sin, but then righteousness. Here's the truth. Many of us don't see righteousness the way God does. Aren't I a good person? Haven't I done enough? And, and then we've got those people who are marching around with the signs saying they don't have any sin in their lives. Are they Right? No. What the Bible tells us is that no one is righteous, not even one. So what it does is it puts us all in the same boat. And it says this, that God is not grading on a curve. Right? Like it's the curve, you know? Like, you know, you've taken tests. You know the guy who breaks the curve. You're like, what's the deal, man? Why'd you have to get the high score? and ruin it for the rest of us. Here's the thing. You want to know how God defines righteousness? He says Jesus. The standard is Jesus. Anybody got that standard? It's either Jesus is the curve breaker or he's the solution and the answer that comes in and says, hey, believe on him, not on yourself. See, Jesus is the standard for righteousness. And, and, and remember what Jesus says in this verse? He says that he was um, going back to the Father. You want to know the life that the Father accepts and receives? It was the life that Jesus lived. The Father receives that life. And so you want to know how you and I become righteous? It's not because we're good people. It's because we put our faith in the only righteous life.
That's the life that the Father accepts. Do you believe that? Because lastly, he says the judgment, when, when it comes to judgment, here's what it means. It's knowing that we all stand judged. I mean, every day you, you think, well, this person's judging me, another person's judging me. I've always heard that excuse too, well, God's the only one who can judge me. But think about this for a minute. Think about who God is. Holy, righteous, perfect God says he will judge sin. Do you want to stand before that God, a righteous God, and say, only God can judge me. Look at me. No. I'd run for cover if it was based on me and my performance. But the Holy Spirit convicts us that when I believe in Jesus, no longer am I standing under the judgment of what I can do because I would stand condemned. But now because of Jesus, I can stand and know that he was condemned for me. That's the crazy part of the gospels. Here's the thing. What do you do with your sin? We, we, we all do something with it. And we either judge ourselves by our standards, holding the weight of our sin on our, our own shoulders, beating ourselves up. You ever heard that phrase before? Beating ourselves up, just killing ourselves, tearing ourselves down. You look in the mirror every day, you're tearing yourself down. Let me tell you today that that might be a sign that you are holding onto your sins, saying that you're the judge. And the Holy Spirit is telling you, stop it. Stop it. There's a God who died in your place, and He said, place it on my shoulders, not on yours. It's amazing verses like this in Romans 8, 1 where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want to know the work of the Holy Spirit? He, he tells you this. He tells you that no longer are you condemned because you stand in the righteousness of Jesus before a holy God that rightly judges every time. He rightly judges every time. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit takes us through this process of saying, yes, there is a reality of sin in our lives. Yes, the only righteousness that we can lean into is the righteousness of Jesus, not our own personal righteousness. And that as we are judged, right, he says that the Concerning judgment, the ruler of this world is judged. 
You want to know who brings a lot of the lies and the judgment in your life? It's the enemy. It's the enemy. And you'll even judge yourself and you'll believe it. But it says he's going to be thrown out because of what Jesus has done. And so lastly, Jesus tells us that the Spirit will be speaking. He'll be speaking. And so look at verses 13 and 14. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. It's an amazing picture of how the Trinity of God works. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, all together sharing and, and, and saying the same thing. And so what is Jesus saying here about the Spirit? Well, he says this. He says, God speaks. God speaks. He's not a mute idol, but he speaks. He's personal. And he invites us into a real living relationship. See, here's the beauty of it. God has thoughts, and he wants to share those thoughts. But what does he share? He speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. You remember that? I don't even know. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) You know? You can't handle the truth. The Spirit speaks the truth. And sometimes it hurts, but it's out of love. And so what's the truth? You find it here. So here's the thing about a real relationship and a fake one. A fake relationship is when you're in that relationship with somebody and they always agree with you. Yeah, whatever. They never push back on something that you're saying. You're not in a real relationship because you'll never know the real thoughts of that person. You'll never have to wrestle through difficult times. It's just like you just have somebody who just says, yeah, all the time. I agree with you. But in a real relationship, what happens is sometimes there's pushback and you don't always agree on things, but you're still there. You're still giving feedback and you have a real relationship. You actually hear what the other person thinks. Do you know that God speaking into your life, you're gonna wrestle? You say, God, I don't like that. I don't like what that says right there. That doesn't sit right with me but you have to know that that's the start of the Spirit working in your life, in your heart. When you hear him speaking and he's saying things and you're like, that rubs me the wrong way. That's not what everybody else says. Now you know you're at the beginning of a real relationship with God. And here's the thing, he doesn't give up. He, he will wrestle with you on this and he'll be there with you through it. He doesn't give up on you. I'm living proof. He doesn't give up. So 
See, ultimately the truth is this. The truth is Jesus. It's Jesus. See, the truth is not 10 steps to a better life and so I'm just gonna read this book and get 10 steps to a better life. That's not what this is. The truth is we need Jesus. In every way we need Jesus. And here's the thing. The thing I know is that I can't convince you of that. But I believe that the Holy Spirit can. That's where I put my faith. And so, does your heart personally believe that's the truth? Are you willing to wrestle with that as God starts to speak into your life? See, here's the thing. You don't need more good advice in your life. You need the Son. You need the Son. Tim Keller says, Jesus does not just bring good news. He is the good news. Let's think about this for a minute, that the God of the universe wants a relationship with you and wants to speak into your life. What? He wants to do that so much that he came, he walked this earth for 33 years, and he died on a cross. That's how much he wants a relationship with you and me. And you look at your life and you say, well, why? Because I have friends, I have family, I have people in my life that are willing to walk away. But Jesus says, I'm here. See, the work of the Spirit leads you to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And what he does is he leads you into a deeper relationship in knowing what truth and grace really is. Truth and grace. It's like Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is that Jesus lived, died, rose again for you, for me. And as you grow deeper in that truth, as that truth starts to speak into your life more and more, you will know that you're not alone. But you're not alone. But he is with you even in the mess, even in your darkest moments. And so just some takeaways today. How does this apply to our lives? I just have two quick takeaways. The first one is this. Remember that God is more present than you think. Remember what I said at the beginning? That his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that his ways are higher than our ways. Here's the thing. Many of us, when we go through rough patches, we don't believe that he's there. God, you're, you're not there. You're not really there. And so that's why we, don't, we should not trust our thoughts and our ways, right? Because most of the time, our thoughts and our ways are not valid. They're not right. I remember wrestling through a difficult decision in my life, and, and Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 came up. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I had to hold tightly onto that scripture because I like to lean on my own understanding, right? I like to know how things are gonna work out, but that's not what he promised. He promised he would be there with me 
and that his ways are better than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That's what he promised. And so remember that God is more present than you think he is. And if you follow God long enough, if you follow the path long enough, he will surprise you and show you that he was more present than you thought he was. He does it. Because when you're on the other side, you say, this is what you do. You either say, well, God, that's amazing. I can't believe you did that. Or you say, well, look at what I did. Cool. Got through another one, and we didn't learn the lesson. (laughs) We didn't learn the lesson. The lesson is that he got us there, that the Spirit gave us the strength, and he was more present than we thought he was. The second takeaway is this. Remember that God is more active than you think. Here's the truth. We give ourselves way too much credit. We give ourselves way too much credit, and we like to Instagram about it, don't we? We like to put it out there. Look at what I did. Look at how great I am. But here's the thing. We give ourselves way too much credit. How do you know that the Spirit of God is working in your life? It says it in verse 14. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. Naturally, we don't glorify God. But when the Spirit's at work in your life and your heart, you start to glorify Him, not yourself. See, are you glorifying Jesus? Does God get the credit for the good things in your life? Or ultimately, do you believe, man, I deserve all the credit? Thomas Goodwin once said, there is a general omission of the saints of God and they're not giving the Holy Spirit that glory that is due to his person. And then he basically says that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is just as much God as Jesus and the Father is. And we just don't give him the credit. See, I said this before. If you see growth in your life as a Christian, You say, man, really overcame that sin, overcame that difficulty. If you're a Christian, it's because God did it, not you. (laughs) Right, like you made some choices and you made some decisions and yes, okay, great, but God is the one who empowered those things. God's the one that brought them to your mind and said, okay, we need, this needs to change. And so it's either God gets the credit or we're stealing credit and saying, look at me. And what happens is we become very judgmental of others who aren't in the same boat as us, who aren't as good as us, right? And that's not the spirit of God. That's us. That's pride. It grows in us a spirit of humility. And yes, the spirit of God is more active than you or I think. I'm gonna end with this. Chronicles of Narnia. We started with the C.S. Lewis quote. We got to end with Chronicles of Narnia. And in the story, the horse and his boy, okay? And so there's a guy named Shasta. He was born into royalty. He was kidnapped as an infant, raised as a fisherman's son. Royalty, now a fisherman's son. Shasta meets Aslan, who is the Christ figure, and shares his life story with him. And here's what it, how it goes. He says he told him how he had never known his real father and mother. He was brought up sternly by a fisherman. He told about Aslan about this escape that he had. He was chased by lions. He swam for his life. Dangers all around him. Beasts. 
beasts howling at him out in the desert. Told about the heat, the thirst of the desert. He says, however so long it was since he had anything to eat. And Aslan looks back at him and says, I do not call you unfortunate. Shasta looks at him and he says, well, don't you think it was bad luck? Aslan says, what on earth do you mean? Or actually, Shasta says, what on earth do you mean? I've just told you that there were at least two the first night lions and they were attacking me. Aslan looks back and says, there was only one. But he was swift of foot. Shasta looks at him and says, how do you know? How do you know my life? How do you know? Aslan says, I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with his mouth wide open, he said nothing, and Aslan continued, I was the cat who confronted, or comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you could reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you do, do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. You and I take way too much credit. Do we believe that we're not alone? That it's God pushing us through our most difficult moments in life? Because here's the truth, you're not. He is with us. How? Because Jesus was left alone on the cross for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus took the penalty so we could be free. So that anytime you think you're alone, remember the promise that Jesus made. You're never alone because I was left alone for you. It's all in him. Do you believe it today? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you sent your spirit to work in our lives. And if we are coming to a realization more and more that you're with us, it's because of you, God, speaking to our hearts. It's not because we're just more we're smarter than everybody else or we're more um, together and we've got it together than anybody else. It's you, God. You've done it. And we believe that today you brought us here to speak to us and to help us. So God, continue to speak and whatever we need in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.